There are times that we, we come under affliction. Times that we look at situations in our lives and we call them problems or trouble. And there are times we wonder, why is it that God hasn't delivered us from certain situations that we look at and it on superficially, it looks like, man, uh, we've been abandoned. You were in big trouble. I was reminded of a teaching I did many, many years ago. And so uh, we're on our way to Huntington. I felt the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord speak to me and tell me that he wanted me to speak from Judges chapter 3. And I know the story well. And I thought, wow. But when we got there, and I just knew this is what God wants. And then at the conclusion of the service, it was very obvious that it was a word that was much needed in that church. And I give credit to the, to the Lord for that. And then last night, as I was ministering in Cambodia, uh, again, the Lord spoke to me and said, this is what I want you to share with them. So I said, okay. Uh, you know, I, I, you know uh, I would have rather have had something that is more theological or deep or whatever. And guess what? When I went to bed last night, I knew what I was going to be speaking here this morning. And the Lord was just reiterating to me, speak it here in our house. So I would like to invite you to join with me in Judges chapter 3. And if you've heard portions of this before, that's fine. You're not going to hear it the way the Holy Spirit is going to present it right now because I don't even know how God is going to manifest this word. But it's a story of a transition. It's the transition of the servants of God into the worshipers of Baal. Do you hear that? We begin looking at the history of Israel. And in chapter 3, we are brought into a time when Israel was serving God. Now, this was a new generation. The original generation that conquered land through Joshua when they first crossed over to the Jordan, that whole generation had gone on. And there was a new generation. And you know, the Lord had commanded the Israelites that when you come into Canaan, make sure that you wipe out all the ites. And some people may think that, that, that that's violence. or There is a purpose and a reason. God was protecting Israel, protecting the lineage of Israel from contamination by the world because the lineage of Israel was the lineage through which Jesus Christ would be born. Now, they may not have understood what that meant from their perspective of history. They were looking ahead. But we who are here and look back, we see how important it was that the lineage of Israel, specifically the, you know, the, uh, the lineage of, the, of uh, Levi and Benjamin, how the, these lineages had to be pure because from that lineage, Jesus would be born. So God made sure that there was no contamination. So he tells the children of Israel, when you go into Canaan, I want you to expel the ites. I want you to get rid of them. I don't want any of them around you. And you know what he's really saying to them? He says, I'm trying to help you to avoid temptations that will take you away from me. That was the reason for the prohibitions. It isn't that God didn't like the people. He knew the course that these people were taking in their lives, the form of worship that they had. He knew that it was erroneous. He knew the seduction of, of these people. And uh, God in his love and mercy wanted to protect, this is key, wanted to protect the Israelites from the temptation of the Canaanites. 
And the best way to do that, separate yourself from it. Keep away from it. But we notice in verse 3, we come to this nation. They had been going through wars. There are many battles that they fought. All with the exception of just one at the city of Ai, the Israelites were successful. They were in a land of prosperity. Described uh, the fruit of the land, the, 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 the grapes were like oranges and, and, and uh, milk and honey. And it just, these are all descriptors of prosperity. So they came into the land, they were obedient. They warred against all the Canaanites and now they're living in just comfort. So notice what God does here. Verse 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all the, those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. Alright? Listen to that again. Here's a nation celebrating its prosperity, serving God, doing all the things that, you know, uh, you know well, we're Hallelujah. And then all of a sudden God says, you know what? I need to condition these people. I need to teach them how to operate in faith. And the only way that you ever learn on how to operate in faith is when you're faced with a difficult situation. You don't need faith if there are no problems. And these people are living in, you know, wow, everything is cool. So God says, well, you know what? It's time to bring them up to another level. And isn't that the way God deals with us? We come into our salvation and everything is wonderful and exciting. You know, we're, we're, we've got the love of the Lord, the, the zeal of the Spirit. We're ministering, telling this one, testifying, coming to church, going to Bible studies doing everything and anything we can. And that goes on for a time, and then, you know, we start looking around and say, you know what? I'm saved. I don't need to worry about these things anymore. I, you know, it was good that I went to um, Bible study, and that was all right. But, you know, what else do I need to learn? I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm on my way to glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And that's all I need. I got so many other things to do. Got work to tend to. I got recreational pursuits that, man, I need to rest. Hello. And sometimes those of us who are born again and possessed a zeal of the Lord suddenly find ourselves lacking zeal and looking for our comfort zone. We only do the things that are convenient to us, that are comfortable to us, the things we want to do. And some way or the other, we justify it because we're saved. We're Christians. I've already passed through the barrier of sin. The judgments against my sin already have been condemned on the cross of Christ. And I'm supposed to live a wonderful life. And you know what? If I keep doing everything that, you know, going to church and you know, this and blah, 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 I've got no time for myself. And I've heard Christians say, you know, <clears throat> It's good to be saved, but you can't make the church the center of your life. Huh? Where did that come from? And then we start seeing things in the world that 
you know, at one time we would stand up against and curse it and and now all of a sudden, you know, we're just oh well. That's the way it is. We got people running for president from all kinds of directions that just a few years ago would have been thought to be horrible in America. People who think that murdering a child in its final semester, death, uh, semester of birth, or even if the child is partially born, and now that's being touted as a virtue, as a strength of a politician in order to gain votes. Our country is deteriorating into infant side. And anybody who stands up against it is mocked, ridiculed, and even sometimes worse things happen to them. We have morality. We believe in fidelity. We believe in commitment to your spouse. We believe that a spouse needs to be the way God established it. But now all of a sudden, we're all being challenged with that. Christians who run businesses in which they use a creative art or skills, they're told that they have to do things that are contrary to their faith. Or they have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines with the threat of even going to jail. What has happened? Now, let me stop here for a minute. First of all, let me tell you something. Any person who's doing any type of thing that we think is immoral needs to be loved by us, not criticized by us. We need to love the sinner. We hate the sin, but we need to make that distinction that we're reaching out to everyone. We're not forcing ourselves on anybody. We're just pointing a direction for them so that they can find fulfillment in life. The choice is theirs. And as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, I need to have the same attitude Christ has that when he was around the sinners, he didn't condemn them. He ministered to them. And I think that's one of the areas that the church really has failed at. We're trying to live in our righteousness to such a degree that we can't tolerate anybody who comes contrary to what we believe is holy. And holiness is not something we do externally. Holiness is the attitude of spirit. And instead of condemning and cursing and coming up against these people, we need to show love. But that love needs to have conditions. We love you, but we don't love the sin. And if you were here on Tuesday night, you heard pastors say, in training children, one of the important things to do is not just tell the child what they can or cannot do. Because the child, well, because they don't want to suffer consequences, may conform to what you say, do or do not do. But they don't feel good about it. She said, what we need to do is sit down with the child and explain to them, this is why we are saying what we're saying. Let them understand the reason. And then a child will cooperate joyfully rather than do the thing as a victim. Same thing with the people of our community. We can't go around cursing everybody because they don't live the same way we do. What we need to do is show them a way to get away from the situations that are conflicting them, that are giving them problems. 
But sometimes it's easier just to do nothing than to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Look, let me go over that again. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced war. Now let me tell you something about tests. Any of us who've been to school, you've taken a test, probably know the nerves that are associated with taking a test. Some folks really have major problems with that. And how many of you, before you took a test, you're wondering if you studied hard enough? If you know the information? Can you pass it? And you worry about it all the time. I know, tell you with, with Susan. I don't know if I'm prepared. The other day, I don't know if I'm prepared. Oh my, yeah, she's taking a psychology course. And what am I supposed to do with her? Jeez, all, and not in an unnatural way, in a natural way. Whenever you walk in a neighborhood that is pitch black, you get nervous. So she's going into a situation, and when she finally came out, what was the grade you got on that quiz? An A. Why? She was diligent, she was prepared. The test did not frighten her. The test motivated her to become better prepared. And understand this. God is not going to allow any test to come into our lives that he hasn't already judged was something that we are able to pass. So don't be afraid of a test. Matter of fact, my attitude has changed about tests. I realize that if there's a test in my life, it's because God has confidence in me. It's not because I'm weak. It's because God has confidence in me. Because if he thought I couldn't overcome or pass the test, he wouldn't let it near my house, my life. So now when I find myself in a test, I now have to tell you that maybe I got to shake my head a little bit to get the bad thoughts out and say, you know what? This is not bad. This is God giving me an opportunity to exercise my faith. The children of Israel new generation, hadn't gone through the wars. They didn't know how to battle. They couldn't defend themselves. So God said, let's get into a training program. See, I rather called a test a training program. And now, another thing I notice in this verse, how many times have you heard Christians curse the devil for the problems that they're going through in their lives. Ah, the devil did this, the devil is trying to do this, the devil is like... <sighs> Honey, I got news for you. Page one. 60 point font. The devil is defeated. He has no power over you. Matter of fact, if you get to understand this, you'll live a different quality of life. He has no power over you, but you have all power over him. Do you understand that? So what is it? God allows certain situations to come into our lives, not because he's mad at us, but he wants to strengthen our faith. Look at what it says here. And these are the nations that the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. 
He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. How do we grow in faith? Unless we have opportunities to exercise our faith. How do we grow in confidence in the Lord? Unless we come through situations that we thought I would never be able to come through. How can we trust in Him? And live in His prosperity? Unless we've gone through the situation. Oh, look what the Lord has done. Last night, my wife and I ate at... Apparently it's been voted the number one new restaurant in Pittsburgh. Why? One, because we don't care whether we go to places like that or not. I'm just as happy going to Eaton Park. Almost all the time. I don't have to worry. God is my provider. And the reason I can be at rest when I'm confronted with these battles is because I've had experience in warfare. I've seen how God fights my battle. All I got to do is be obedient. March around the walls. One time for six days. Shut up. Don't say a word. March around. Six days. Have you ever thought of what the Israelites must have been wondering? Joshua, you lose your mind. What in the world are you doing? Everybody knows that's not how you fight the war. You know why God was having them watch around? Because he was teaching them something. The victories of our spiritual warfare are not won by doing things the way the world does things. The most ridiculous thing that they could do was march around that city six days. And God said to them, on the seventh day, I'm going to give you the victory. So said day seven comes, and I'm sure all the Israelites were just, you know, wondering, hmm. Yeah, okay, let's see what happens now. So they march around the city wall one time. And it's a long march. And they're tired. All right. Hey, God, where are you? Where are you? I thought I was supposed to have the victory. March again. Okay. Okay. Now. This is hard work being obedient. Being obedient to God sometimes aggravates my flesh. Do it again. God. Finish the third lap. Fourth lap. Fifth lap. Imagine what they must have been thinking on the sixth time around. They weren't allowed to speak. But I guarantee you, oh, this is the coolest thing I ever saw in my life. Well, I can't believe it. I mean, these, these people look at us laughing at us. They ain't going crazy. Huh? This, is, this is how you do work. This is not how you do work. Isn't that the way it happens 
when we find situations that don't go according to our expectations? What's wrong with you, God? Why? Oh, what's wrong with me? Have I become a person that you don't listen to anymore? Why aren't you answering my prayer? I'm doing battle with the enemy. I got situations and troubles. Then Joshua says one more time. Only this time. When we finish the march. We're going to do something different. All in one day. The seventh time. blisters my legs are cramping up this this is too hard why are you doing this to me God to teach you the value of obedience because my faith flows through you when you obey my commands seventh time they finally got and now Joshua sends the command shout come on let's be honest imagine yourself as one of the Israelites at that point You've been seven days turning around. Now on the seventh day, this is your seventh time. And now Joshua says, shout! Boy, this this leader is crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. I better go to another nation. I better go to another church. He's telling us to shout! We should be practicing with our swords and our spears. We should get a battering ram to attack the gates of Jericho. No! Shout. And if if these people were anything like some Pentecostals I know, the first time he said shout, they probably said, yeah, it's over. No, shout. Ah, no shout finally everybody realized they weren't going anyplace until they did as they were commanded they said shout and the next time they shouted yes put yourself in that And that company that was surrounding, you shot like that. It's nothing perceptible happened right away. But suddenly, your legs begin to shake. Mm. Things begin to quake. The people on top of the wall looking down at you were laughing. Now all of a sudden, They got this look of fright in their eyes. What's happening? Just like that. The battle was over. The walls came tumbling down. Why? Because they trusted in the Lord. There God. And the Lord left the Canaanites in the land of Canaan to teach this new generation warfare. 
because we are always in a continual warfare with life, circumstances, situations, our minds, our lusts. Let me show you how you overcome it. But what does Israel do? They relax. They get comfortable. Notice verse, what is that, five? I can't tell. Verse five. Here are these mighty men of God, this chosen nation. And it says in verse five, and and it's the first time it's happened to Israel. And the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. They lived among them. Oh, let's just, you know, instead of fighting this all the time, let's just compromise. Let's just, you know, okay, you got your way and we got our way. And, you know, let, let, we just, just, you know, let's get together. Never make an alliance with those things that are trying to destroy your soul. No matter how insignificant it may seem at the time. Remember the wisdom of Proverbs. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Don't think, yeah, that's it's okay. Just do a little this way. You know the adage, journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The journey of conforming to becoming a Baal worshiper also begins in what seems to be insignificant. They lived. So, you know, you're looking around, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden, you're just comfortable that some of the boys out there, you know, all ready to get, you know, excited and have families and they're looking at the women of Israel yeah okay but boy suddenly they start seeing the Canaanite women these Canaanite maidens all decked out in their finery all bejeweled all painted up letting everybody know we're available so in their complacency they become observant of things that they like and even though God said destroy the ites Israel now comes to these people start, well you know what God that's the old way of doing things yeah our forefathers they did it but we've got a better way instead of destroying them why don't we assimilate them? Bring them into our covenant. They didn't understand God. There was a reason for the covenant. But they were looking at their own desires, on their own wants. Now, I know what some guys go through being the father of two of the most beautiful girls in the whole wide world. And I know the attention that they attract. And Angela still, she's 50 some odd years old and still knocks people. Ah, you're beautiful. And this girl here just... So I understand what the Canaanites were going through. They're looking at these women and thinking, man, man. So they reach a compromise. And the reason they came to a compromise 
was because of their covetousness. I want this. Here's the thing we need to challenge our minds every day. What do you want more than anything else? Do you want the pleasures of the world or the joy of Christ? Because that which you desire is going to be that which you receive. So, verse, I can't tell what it is, six, look what happens. They saw them, they wanted them, they took their daughters in marriage and gave their uh, their daughters to their sons. No big deal, <laughs> except for the last four words of that text. No big deal. Watch. See where it led them. And serve their gods. Wow. From a servant of God to now a worshiper of Baal. What happened? It's the little foxes. You young people. Don't think that the ways of your forefathers are just old-fashioned. Don't think that they're not relevant for today. Well, we don't need to go to church. You know, we, we, we go to church, we'll do it the way we want. You know, we don't need Bible study. We don't need, you know, hey, I, you know, it's good, it's cool. Especially today, I can get it on TV, I can get it on the tape recorder, I can read a book. Yeah, I know God says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as is common with some. But I, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, that was then. That's before TV. That's before the internet. We can do this more modernized. We can make the church more relevant for the millennium. Millennials. Let me tell you, give you a newsflash. The church hasn't been called to conform to the world. The church has been called to transform the world. Verse 7. Full four formed conformity the Israelites not only served the Baals and the gods did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs servants of God worshippers of Baal I did a study one time and I analyzed all the failings of people in the Bible that we have a narrative of. You go back to the Garden of Eden. What precipitated the fall? Satan's seductive talking and teaching? Well, you know what? They never would have been in the place where they could have heard the snake speak to them, except they were hanging around the tree that they weren't supposed to eat. I mean, it's a big garden. You got a lot of things to do. What was Eve, what was Adam doing there? I'll tell you what she was doing there. Oh, that's nice. You know what? It looks like a fruit that if I eat it, it's going to make me wise. God told me not to eat it. But 
you know, God just doesn't trust me. He doesn't know my needs. And boom, Slewfoot comes in. The door is open. Did God say to you that you're not supposed to eat of the tree? Oh, yes, Mr. Slewfoot. God said, we can't eat of the tree. And we're not even allowed to touch it. The serpent knew right then and there. you see the progression there let's go to another place let's look at David the man that God the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart David it's time to go to war it's the king's responsibility to go to war season when kings went to war the Bible says and David stayed home. Sound familiar? Oh man, I've been fighting all my life. I've been doing all you know, the kingdom is growing, we're prospering. These guys can do it without me. So he becomes complacent, tired of warfare. And so he goes up to his rooftop. In, in those days, the roof was really the family room of the house. Yeah, that's where they had all their activities, their common activities. And David's great palace was beautiful. And he's walking along the, the roof, just looking at the beautiful Jerusalem skyline, seeing the beauty of the sky and the clouds. And he's looking around and Bathsheba, the wife of one of your generals. Man, is she beautiful. Now remember, David had how many wives? How many concubines? And I guarantee you, they all were beautiful. But look at that. And he had to have her as his own. So here's the man after God's own heart using his authority. Call her, send her to me. She comes, and you know the rest of the story. The most horrible experience, the most, the darkest time of David's life follows this failure of his life. And not only did it affect him, it also affected the child that was born through that union. And sometimes when a person sins and they're confronted with the sin, what they do is they try to change the circumstances. So he knew somebody would question Bathsheba getting pregnant while... Her husband was at war. He tries to bring him back, but the guy is a righteous man. No, I'm not going to go with my wife. Well, my men are out on the fields. I'm not going to do that. And David says, all right. And there's nothing. So he sends a note up to the other general and says, send him to the front of the line. And then back away. Murder. Always happens. Neglect your responsibilities. And the next thing you know, you're involved in situations you never thought 
you could possibly do. The devil tried it with Jesus in the wilderness. But see, Jesus had the antidote to this persuasiveness of Satan. And what was it? When he went into the desert, he was led by the Spirit. And he was praying. And he was fasting. He was keeping his mind on God in the midst of that desolate situation. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's the son of God. Satan tries the same thing with him. Hey, look, come on up here on, this, uh, uh, on the pinnacle of the temple. Look, you know, I'll give you all, and all the three temptations. But they didn't work on Jesus. Why? Because his mind was on God. I know I preached a long time this morning, but let me bring this to an end. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathanum, king of Aram Netherim, or Mesopotamia. Cushan Rishathanum. And Rishastanum says, means in Hebrew, of double wickedness. And the land they came from, also translated Mesopotamia, is a land that flows between the two rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris, right where the garden was, now occupied by Iran, Syria. Why did God send this trouble upon Israel? To destroy them? No. No. You never go through problems, circumstances, or situations because God is mad at you or because you failed God. It doesn't happen. It only happens because God wants to bring you back to Him. And sometimes the only way that we turn our lives around and go back towards God is when we find ourselves in the most difficult circumstances. David said later on in life, I thank God that I was afflicted. The greatest lessons he learned but through the tragedies that he brought upon himself. So here's the moral of my message this morning. Look at where you are in the Lord. Is that zeal, is that burning conviction still relevant in your life? Or after all these years, have you just Accepted it as part of who you are, part of what you do, part of your routine. There's a test coming up. And the test isn't because you're a bad guy, a bad gal. The test isn't because God is angry at you. The test is to help you to fulfill the desires that you spoke to God. God, I want to be like you. I want to be like Jesus in every aspect of my life. And God says, okay, I believe you. So let me train you. Let me strengthen you. Allow me to show you how to win the battles in front of you. That's what it's all about, guys. It's not about the devil making your life miserable. It's not about God upset at you and not liking you. 
you find yourself in your circumstance that you are right now because God loves you so much he wants to take you to that next plateau of faith and trust accept that embrace what you think are the difficulties and learn the lessons that the spirit of the Lord is trying to teach you remember it's all good it's all it's not just a scripture in Romans 8 28 all things work together for good to the Lord call it good for all things but it's not working together for good for me Come on. Come on. Wake up. Get out of that lethargic state where you're just cruising along in your faith. Follow the Lord in your heart. Be obedient to His Word. And you'll find that your destiny is not trouble. It's fulfillment in Him. Well, my prayer this morning is that this word in some way or the other reached your hearts. I felt a heaviness in delivering it, not because it's a heavy word, but because sometimes we're aware that you speak words like this and sometimes people just dismiss them. Oh, well, it's the old man up there just saying things. And well, I rebuke that. This is not the old man just speaking things that he knows nothing about. This is the Apostle God giving you his word that God wants you to be aware of. We are victors. We are overcomers. But there is a stipulation to that victory. There is a stipulation to our overcoming. And that stipulation is we submit to the Lord and obey Him and do what He has called us to do the way He wants us to do it. Amen? Father, I pray that this word this morning will find lodging in the hearts and spirits of everyone who is able to hear it. I pray that it will be a wake-up call for us to get out of that spirit of being comfortable and complacent, just resting in the Lord or focusing on other things, other activities. Stir us, oh God. Bring us to that place that all of us want to attain. And that place is to manifest the nature and the character the glory of Jesus Christ. Bless this word, Lord. Seal it in our hearts. Amen.